This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Swinburne Astronomy Online, the world's longest-running online astronomy degree program. Visit astronomy.swin.edu.au for more information. Today's show is brought to you by Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting Casper, that's spelled with a C, casper.com slash astro and using promo code astro. Astronomy Cast, episode 359, Margaret Geller. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. My name is Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today, and with me is Dr. Pamela Gay, a professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Fraser? Good. I, I don't know if I ever mentioned this in the show, but to actually say... Professor at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville, is actually really hard. It is. It really is. To, to rattle that off, I have to slow down and I have to really choose my words very carefully and I can often flub it up. And that's where I will flub it up. So uh, I, I encourage everyone in the audience to just go ahead and say that seven times. So, Professor so, at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. So, so if you want to know the full glory that I have to write into grants, it's a professor in the Center for Science, Technology, Engineering, and, Math- and Mathematics Research, Education, and Outreach at Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. And the director of CosmoQuest. Yes. And it line wraps. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it, and it's, it's like visiting professor? No, no, no. Assistant professor is my full title. Assistant, assistant professor. research professor is my full title. Right. There you go. That That's even more line wraps. Uh, cool. So uh, before we get into this week's show, which is where we continue our focus on uh, some of the uh, most influential female astronomers, uh, we would like to talk about a place where a person could perhaps pick up some swag. Yes. So as we enter the holiday season, we know that uh, hopefully many of you out there have people in your lives that you love and you want to give awesomeness to. And we have our own small corner of awesomeness on the internet. And that is our store on Spreadshirt. The URL is astrogear.spreadshirt.com. And we have a variety of mugs and t-shirts and sweatshirts and pretty much everything is customizable so that you can get it in the color the size everything that you want i've uh, put forward my favorite girl cut and boy cut stuff and um we have everything from a a shirt that says explore planet pluto classic that is a parody shirt of the coke classic logo to astronomy cast apparel to cosmic quest awesomeness so please uh get some good astronomy cast nerdery to give to all those you love fantastic all right, so on to this week's topic. This episode of Astronomy Cast is brought to you by Eighth Light Inc. Eighth Light is an agile software development company. They craft beautiful applications that are durable and reliable. Eighth Light provides disciplined software leadership on demand and shares its expertise to make your project better. For more information, visit them online at www.eighthlight.com. Just remember, that's www.thedigit8thlight.com. Drop them a note. Eighth Light. Software is their craft. 
All right, well, Pamela, we've got something special this week. We've got a new sponsor for Astronomy Cast, and that is Casper.com, and they make mattresses. The cool thing with this is they sent us both individually mattresses to, to test out. Did you get yours? I did, and it was this crazy situation where I, I kind of forgot to tell my husband there was a mattress coming, and he opens the front door, and there's a box that is just big enough for a human to fit in, which is actually really tiny when you think about mattresses. Well, you got like the twin-sized one or the smaller one, right? right. Yeah, and so, and so I got the king-sized one. And what's amazing is I don't think the box for the king-sized one was any bigger than the one that you had. And there was like, I don't know what laws of physics they broke to get this mattress in there, but it was folded and rolled. And so they gave you the special knife to cut the thing open. And then it, and then it just sort of inflated and you had a full-on king-sized mattress and it was super comfortable. We actually have gotten rid of the old mattress and we're using the Casper mattress. It's a terrific mattress. So we uh, now having tested it out, I, I'm really glad we've got them as a sponsor for Astronomy Cast. I have to say the same thing. I got an extra large twin one to put on the day bed where I do a lot of reading and fussing around on my iPad and all that sort of stuff. And initially I just kind of put it on top of the old mattress and that lasted for about two days and then the old mattress sort of got ditched and it's awesome. It's squishy but firmish and it doesn't have the problems our Tempur-Pedic mattress has of making you super hot. Yeah, exactly. You're not up against this kind of foam that gets you really hot. No, they, it's a it's great. Uh, so, so the good folks at Casper, in addition to sponsoring Astronomy Cast, are providing you with a discount on your own mattress. So if you go to casper.com slash astro, and then if you use the promo code astro, you can get $50 off your own mattress, and they will ship it to you, I think, anywhere in the United States. This means that you can fall asleep listening to Fraser and I while sleeping on the exact same mattress that Fraser and I are not on the same mattress, but the same kind of mattress that we have. So go to casper.com slash astro, use the promo code astro, and you'll save $50 on your own mattress. Margaret Geller is best known for her work on the large-scale structure of the universe, helping us understand the large clusters, superclusters, and cosmic filaments that matter clumps into. And, and before we dig into this, I actually just posted something on Twitter that was so cool. It was like what the universe would look like if we could see dark matter and talk about filaments. Like it just looks yeah. like neurons and like spongy thread connected together. And this is the kind of stuff that Margaret Geller helped us figure out. So who is Margaret Geller? So Margaret Geller is a female astronomer who is at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. Uh, she got her PhD from Princeton and was actually one of the first women to do that. And she has spent her career basically trying to figure out what is the environment in which galaxies reside and how do we trace out this larger scale structure of all of the galaxies that turns out aren't quite so evenly distributed as we might have once thought. So before Margaret Geller did her work, what, I guess, what did astronomers think the universe was structured like? Well, we were getting the idea that there are clusters and superclusters, but we kind of thought that there was this variety of different sized structures, but perhaps it was just kind of evenly distributed, kind of like a fractal pattern of, well, here's small galaxies, here's big galaxies, here's groups of galaxies, but we weren't entirely sure. 
And it, it actually took uh, Margaret Geller and a variety of colleagues across many different years working on a variety of different surveys to finally start to realize that our universe is kind of shaped like Swiss cheese. And uh, the first diagram to really, well, to be unintentionally punny, to bring this to light was the Geller-Hooker diagram that came out. And um, it, it showed the redshift of galaxies on the axis going out from the center, and then it traced an arc across the sky. So what happened was John Hookra, who was a great observational astronomer, went to the telescope and using spectroscopy measured the rate at which galaxies are moving away from us here on Earth and took into account the motion of the solar system, the motion of the galaxy, all of that, and figured out how these different velocities related more or less to the position of these different galaxies. Putting that together got this really neat diagram that actually has what looks like a stick figure dude kind of centered in the bottom of it. And that stick figure dude is the coma cluster. And it turns out that the motions of the galaxies within the cluster stretch out the cluster into a stripy bit. And all of the rest of the structures slowly are in this first diagram, just tracing out this lace of structure. Over the decades, they've taken more and more and more redshift measurements and pushed out the distance and the density of galaxies that they've measured and discovered the Great Wall, a large wall-like structure of galaxies, uh, found more and more clusters and found more and more voids and realized it's not a random distribution. It's, it's actually a very purposeful distribution of, of structures. It's interesting the, of the way you've chosen these, these people, you know, I'm, I'm sure you did this on purpose, but, um, but how sort of the dark matter, uh, the dark matter discussions from Beer Rubin with the stuff we talked about last week, more about sort of the, um, you know, some of these large-scale structures, the great attractor, things like that. And it's the same concept about how you've got these these large-scale structures, which are all kind of related. The dark matter is the thing that's that's sort of organizing and harnessing them together into these these shapes. And the expansion of the universe is creating these voids and, and filaments, right? Well, what, what's been really interesting is with each of these different women whose work we've been choosing to highlight, the, these are women who made discoveries that required long-term, year-after-year, careful consolidating of multiple results to, to aggregate an understanding that couldn't come quick and dirty. It, it required long-term detailed analysis, and they did that needed long-term work to build a completely unexpected understanding of our universe. So they, they essentially saw hints of, well, I was trying to study this one thing, but realized there's something deeper going on here. And they did the research necessary, in Vera Rubin's case, to figure out there was dark matter affecting the rotation rates of galaxies, with Margaret Geller to realize that galaxies are are clumped and there's voids and to figure out what that physically means and how this all relates back to the Big Bang. These are long-term studies that 
are just they literally change how we see our universe. There's no other way to put it. Right. So let's talk a bit about Margaret Geller then. So, so where did she go to school? Where did she, uh, where did she sort of get her training? So, so she, she, as I said, uh, got her PhD from Princeton. She got it in 1975 in physics. Um, she was one of the first women to do that. Previously, she'd gone to the University of California at Berkeley, uh, again, getting a, a degree in physics. And from there, she went on to the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. And in 1980, she got appointed to Harvard College's astronomy department in a tenure-track position. She was in that position for three years, and then she actually left the tenure track. And while she's never come right out and said it, a lot of people have said for her that the reason she left was because of the amount of harassment and backstabbing and snarky comments that she had to face day after day after day while she was at Harvard. And when you're told enough times you'll never get tenure because you're a girl, well, it's easier to say, I'm just going to step back and be a research professor, a research scientist. If you're on the tenure track and denied tenure, you're given one year to find a new job. You're out. You're gone. But if you instead step back and fall into a research track, which is what she did through the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics, you have a position as, as long as you can find funding for yourself. Now, the weird thing about this for Margaret Geller is here's a woman who literally changed how we view the structure of the universe. She has gone on to publish lots of papers, uh, over 125, and I stopped counting. She has received the uh, MacArthur Genius Grant. She has become a member of the National Academy of Arts and Sciences, a fellow of the American Physical Society, award after award. She's one of the top in her field. And she actually has the appointment of a full professorship, or she did until she resigned it in 99. She was appointed a full professor without tenure at Harvard. And she was offered a extremely important, well-funded, um, named chair. This is one of those things that um, you only get when the university basically says, hey, you're awesome, we're going to keep you. Um, it was the Malincrod chair. But they said, we'll give it to you, but we're not going to give you tenure. We just won't. And... That's- she was the only person to ever be offered that chair and not given tenure. And she actually neither said yes nor no to that position. She dug her heels in and said tenure. And and why not, if and, not? And so that offer came in 97. In 99, it, it became clear that tenure wasn't coming, and so she resigned her professorship at Harvard to strictly be a senior research scientist at the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. Right. And, you know, I mean, from the reporting side, a ton of what we do at University Today comes out of the Harvard CFA. We get, uh, you know, probably a couple of stories a week are coming out of, out of Harvard's Center for Astrophysics. There's tons of really breaking news coming out of there. And it's it's... A complicated situation because Harvard is known as 
kind of being a cesspool for gender harassment. When I was there, I knew of a woman in physics who was asked to document how many hours a day she spent with her newborn because there were complaints that she was actually using the maternity leave to get ahead on her research, which was considered unfair. So she had to document that she was spending enough hours with the child for it to be considered maternity leave instead of maternity leave or just extra time. Right. Research. Yeah. Right. And some of the things that you experience and are told, it, it just gets exhausting. And I can fully understand having experienced things like this at many different places, why Margaret made the decisions she did. And I have the utmost respect for her basically saying, you're offering me this amazing opportunity, but you're putting strings on it. And... I'm I'm not going to to roll over and accept this prize with your strings. I want this prize only if you give it to me the same way you've given it to everyone else. Right. So she so I guess is that where she currently is then? Yes. She she's currently at the Harvard Smithsonian Center for Astro Astrophysics. Uh this makes her a civil servant it means that her funding comes predominantly from grant research that, uh, like me, she's yeah. in jeopardy of, and this is why I feel for it, is I have the very similar position at my university being in a research center, which means no matter how good I do, the second I don't have enough grant money, I'm out of a job. And, and this is something I'm currently facing. Right. You're always writing grants. You're always looking to try and acquire money for the projects that you need to work on because that's what makes the makes the whole machine run. Right. And universities really benefit from having research scientists. Uh, people in these types of positions, you bring in all of your own salary. You bring in money to fund people to work with you. And then the university also takes a percentage off the top. The percentage varies from institution to institution, anywhere from a few tens of percents to actually requiring you to bring in more than twice the amount of money that you need, and they'll take half of it. And and so the money that you bring in benefits the institution, allows it to build new buildings, hire support staff, all of these different things to keep the light on, the heat going, and fund students, and fund computers for other people and do all of these other things that keep the institution going while the institution makes no promise to you. And at any moment you can be out the door and for her to say, you know, this is where I'm going to stick unless you give me tenure. That's a brave thing because a name chair like the Mallinckrodt chair it does come with money. It does come with a certain amount of security that helps. And she said, no, I'll take, I'll take my lot as a research scientist. So what else has she, has she worked on? She worked on, obviously, this original work back in the 80s of large-scale structure of the universe. Uh, you mentioned the Great Wall. Uh, what is that exactly? <laughs> so, so if you look in, in one direction across the sky in what's called the first Center for Astrophysics redshift strip, that's where you see the stick figure dude. Um, 
But when you look at the stick figure dude, you see coming off of his arms this kind of wall of of galaxies. And as you continue to to look at fainter and fainter galaxies, that wall gets thicker and thicker. And as you go to higher redshifts, you realize that wall has nothing on one that appears at at a more distant redshift. So our stick figure dude, he's at a, a redshift that translates to moving at 10,000 kilometers per second. Um, the Great Wall is, is out at 10,000 uh, kilometers per second and spreads out all the way from 16 hours to about nine hours of bright ascension across the sky. And... Um, it's it's kind of awesome and we'll include pictures right well i mean we always talk in terms of like uh arc minutes arc seconds but you're talking about arc hours, hours. Here, right? Yeah. yeah so that's a big chunk of the sky yeah and yeah. and it it starts to fade off at about nine hours and what's really cool looking at it is is it about 16 hours there's this long spiky bit coming off of it and that long spiky bit is is another galaxy cluster where the Galaxies are moving so rapidly in the cluster that they spread out in this long finger. These are sometimes called the fingers of God um, in the redshift space. Now, are these part of the Virgo supercluster or way farther away? So, so looking at this, the the stick figure guy that's that's the coma cluster, and uh, one of the other fingers of God in this diagram is actually the Virgo cluster. So, we're picking up a couple of different massive clusters of galaxies and this wall that just extends all the way through this particular strip. Um, so the the one that really makes the wall start to stand out is the Center for Astrophysics 2 survey, and it's the first six slices put together that, that allows this all to stand out. And we'll and put pictures through, of this in our show notes. And I was looking through Geller's biography, and she also is the co-discoverer of hypervelocity stars. Right. That that is something that because I don't do that field of research, I totally forgot about. Yeah. So so hypervelocity stars are stars that get ejected through a variety of different interactions or supernovae explosions and are basically these runaway objects um, that that you can measure across a lifetime how they move across the sky. And that's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. Like you can have like a three-body interaction, or you can have, as you said, the uh, the supernova going off and detonating, and the blast kicking a star out of the entire galaxy, which is pretty crazy. Um, cool. Okay. So, what else should we know about uh, Margaret Geller? So, so she took things from just doing the initial maps of of the one-dimensional or two-dimensional rather slices through the the universe to building complete 3D maps. And her work led to some of the very first renderings that people saw on TV shows um, and in planetariums. She did an eight-minute video in 1989 called Where the Galaxies Are that created a voyage through this large-scale structure and actually uh, was awarded the Sign Gold Eagle Award. Uh, she went on to do a 40-minute film called So Many Galaxies, So Little Time uh, that, that won awards for its graphic renderings from the IEEE and SIGGRAPH. And uh, it was on display at the National Science Museum, so our National Air and Space Museum. So, so here you have a woman who does amazing science, who 
is doing hard, complicated work, detangling redshifts, figuring out spectra. This is all observational work. And then you have to figure out what theories match your observations to try and explain everything. She's working to make sure her results get pu- get published in the top peer-reviewed journals and make sure that they reach out to the public through accessible videos and, and easy scripts. Uh, she's given lectures all over the world, and she's even on the National Public Radio here in the United States, their list of best commencement speeches ever. So she's yeah. a woman who can communicate. Right, and that's really, really important. I mean, I think that was that was Carl Sagan's magic, and a lot of the people like like right now we have Neil deGrasse Tyson. But, but I think where where Neil is really great at explaining things, you know, Margaret Geller did the research, understood the implications, and then helped get them uh, simulated in a way that that regular folk, the public, could wrap their heads around. Uh, I guess a really good similar recent event like this is like what happened with interstellar right where kip thorne helped lead the simulation of the black hole gargantua or whatever in interstellar (laughs) with such a level of precision that it both looked beautiful and had some useful scientific uh understanding for for research so that's the magic if you can take these these, what are just numbers, right? I mean, there's just right ascension, declination, um, you know, redshift, whatever's the whatever you know, what kinds of composition the galaxy is, and turn that into a 3D rendering that shows you what our local neighborhood looks like. That really helps put things in perspective. So, I mean, that's that's some of my favorite. When people do that, I'm really excited. And and one and one of the things that's actually articulates indirectly is one of the reasons often given for why she doesn't have tenure is, well, she's cranky, she's difficult, she's grouchy, she doesn't work well with others. But then you look at the body of her work and she's had collaborations that lasted decades. She's worked with people from a whole variety of different backgrounds and when you see the range in working with top scientists and top creatives in projects in the private sector, and in, in she's given multiple talks at the Chakatal Institute, which is an indigenous people's institution, clearly this is someone who does know how to collaborate. And it's, it's the, the irascible professor put it very well in a blog post. Where, where he says, um, I can imagine that something like the following discussion must have gone on in these hallowed halls of Harvard University when the issue of tenure for Geller was being discussed. Professor Y, and we've already promoted her to full professor. Shouldn't we make it official by granting her tenure? Professor Z, but she isn't exactly one of the old boys. I don't know if she would fit in over at the faculty club. And besides, there's just no evidence that she's able to walk on water. And this this is a woman who's done amazing things, but she can't walk on water. No tenure. Exactly. Yeah. So then, you know, I mean, she's still an active astronomer right now. Still a researcher. Yes. I mean, this is yes. you know her her career is not over. So what's she working on like right now? She's part of the Sloan Digital Sky Survey team. So when you see those amazing new renderings that allow you to fly all the way out to the cosmic microwave background radiation. 
she's one of the people in that collaboration that is taking our understanding that started with this one narrow slice that showed come a clustered stick figure dude to now doing this massive wedge through the universe that is allowing us to test models that show how our galaxy's structure has evolved from the cosmic microwave background to today. And that's just awesome. Yeah. Um, and then she's working on uh, a project called Shells, which is, uh, I was, I've got the, the Astro PH, the Hectospec Lensing Survey, which combines a large, deep, complete redshift survey with a weak lensing map from the Deep Lens Survey. So I guess this is dark matter lensing distribution matched with a redshift survey. And, and this is adding the dark matter component to the luminous matter component uh, so that you can start to see how is it that light matter does and in some cases doesn't trace out the dark matter by looking at how the dark matter leaves evidence of itself by distorting light passing through it. And you know, I mean, there was some great research that just came out uh, just within the last couple of weeks about how quasars line up strangely within these filaments of dark matter. And that sort of makes sense if you think about it in terms of quasars trace out galaxies that are, are undergo- undergoing massive star formation in some cases, uh, undergoing collisions, all sorts of activities that happen more in the early universe. Uh the dark matter is the places that were it was in its highest density. It pulled the luminous matter in. So the luminous matter flowed in to this dark matter scaffolding, started forming structures. These structures interacted. The structures were the first galaxies, and those galaxies were interacting in these filaments of dark matter that allowed all of this material to be drawn together. So one thing I just I just did here I just put her name into into AstroPH into archive.org the astrophysics um and for her name and she's in 118 papers and that's that, just once on AstroPH Yeah that that's right? actually low so um the No number- that's not all her papers this is just like the ones that came out since AstroPH was keeping right. track of them Right exactly Yeah and Take yeah that like 4 years maybe is what I'm, so, I think is about. So the number that I found was in 2001. She had 127 published articles since 1982. And then there's been like another hundred since then. Yeah. And so yeah. just hundreds. So that is a very, very prolific. Yes. Yes. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Pamela. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Astronomy Cast, a nonprofit resource provided by Astrosphere New Media Association, Fraser Kane, and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can find show notes and transcripts for every episode at astronomycast.com. You can email us at infoastronomycast.com. Tweet us at astronomycast. Like us on Facebook or circle us on Google. We record our show live on Google every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern or 2000 Greenwich Mean Time. If you missed the live event, you can always catch up over at CosmoQuest.org. If you enjoy Astronomy Cast, why not give us a donation? It helps us pay for bandwidth, transcripts, and show notes. Just click the donate link on the website. 
All donations are tax deductible for U.S. residents. You can support the show for free, too. Write a review or recommend us to your friends. Every little bit helps. Click support the show on our website to see some suggestions. To subscribe to the show, point your podcatching software at astronomycast.com slash podcast.xml or subscribe directly from iTunes. Our music is provided by Travis Searle and the show is edited by Preston Gibson. 